We have actual bids for the Washington Commanders and one of the most anticipated women's Final Four matchups in history. It's Wednesday, March 29th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The saga of the Washington Commanders sale could be reaching its final chapter, and we have a man on the scene getting intel at the NFL owners' meetings in Phoenix. Joining us now is senior reporter AJ Perez. How's it going, AJ? Doing well. Doing well. Last day here. All right. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed the sun. And the the owners are not discussing, at least not publicly, the uh, the Washington Commanders sale. It's not part of their agenda. But there has been some very recent news on that. So, what is the latest? ESPN reported a couple of bids today. Um, uh, one, uh, Josh Harris, who has been a longtime contender, thought to be one of the couple front runners of the team, pretty for s- last several months, and pretty much since the sale uh, potential sale was announced in November. Uh, his bid, uh, I was able. Uh, one source told me was a little under six billion dollars. Still a huge amount of money. That's about uh, all the Broncos sold for comparison last year for four point six five billion. So it's a big markup uh, from uh, from that because it's you know, that's your. It's it's more about this what the commanders were before Dan Snyder bought the team and uh, and what if they could be again. You're kind of buying like a uh, kind of buying a vintage franchise that has a lot of upside. And uh, then there was another we got another bid in uh, possible bid at least uh, we've known uh, Canadian as Canadian uh, real estate develop uh, management slash developer Steve Apostolopoulos. Yeah, he's in the uh, he's in the mix. Um, uh, there are concerns about whether he had, whether you know, about how much he actually bid. ESPN said six billion dollars. I can't confirm that, um, but there's uh, but there's also concerns over if he has the, uh, the the of has the assets to become a controlling owner, which takes thirty percent liquidity to become that. So if the, if the team sells for six billion dollars, that's one point eight billion dollars cash that it's needed that's needed as part of the purchase. It's starting to feel like just because we haven't really it doesn't seem like we've heard a lot out of the Bezos world for a while. Is is he still kind of the de facto front runner here or is, is Harris maybe passing him? I think de facto front runner is a great way to put it, Owen. Um, he's still involved. There's no indications he's dropped out. I think uh, I'm not saying it's his to lose, but when you're the third richest person in the world, I think you it's pretty much uh, if he wants the team, you can buy it. Uh, I don't. The, there's been speculation, and I've been and I've reported on Dan Snyder's reluctance to sell to Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos for the last decades owned the Washington Post, and the Washington Post has done a lot of stories, great reporting on the team that has shown uh, you know Dan Snyder and the team in a bad light, um, even though it was accurate reporting. Uh, that uh, that you know that there's either Dan or Tani or both aren't uh, aren't big Jeff Bezos fans, but that's uh, if he comes in with an offer uh, that's uh, way above um, or maybe even a little above even uh, than what the others uh, have have uh, you know come to the table with. You know, it's he's he's still in there in this mix, and I think uh, you know whether he ultimately ends up with the team, we're still probably a, a couple weeks away to figuring that out. But yeah, now that we're getting actual bids, I feel like now a level has been set. And now if Bezos does want the team, you can say, okay, Harris is at six, I'm at 6.5. Maybe I'm at seven. Um, You know, to Jeff Bezos, it's not a big difference. To us, it's $500 million. Um, But so that's, I've kind of been thinking he's been waiting for someone else to set the market. And now that's finally happening. And we'll find out if he does really want the team at that level. So yeah, there's going to be, this is a process we're still even when this is announced, whenever it's going to be announced, we're still like two months, about two months away from a vote. So Dan Snyder is going to be the, the, the team owner for the next couple months, at least. And uh, wait, you know, whether and it could be longer if he doesn't pick somebody soon. 
So. Yeah. And there is at least one other contender or at least interested party that we know that's Tillman Fertitta, owner of the Houston Rockets and many, the Golden Nugget casino brand uh, has, you know, numerous Vegas properties. Um, is, should we be thinking of him as, you know, someone who could end up with the team? Possibly. He just bought, a, he just, news broke this week that he bought another casino. Um, so that, you know, you can't really read too much into it. I have not been able to determine myself, uh, a lot of digging and still have it, see where he, where, uh, where, where he is in this process. There was a report about a month ago that he bid around $5.5 billion. And if we're getting close to six, that means he's been outbid. If the report was accurate, which I don't have any reason to doubt it. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, there's, he has, it was also reported that he did not, uh, he did not do a visit and we know, to, uh, Josh Harris visited, visited the T facilities, uh, before the Super Bowl, Um, and, uh, and also, uh, the Canadian, uh, took a visit at some point, um, as well. Uh, Tillman, we didn't as apparently as far as we know. And, uh, I don't think we have any indication that Bezos or any of his associates, uh, toured yet, but, uh, you know, there's still a lot we don't know about this process. All right, AJ Perez, and sounds like some nearby birds. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We'll have you on again soon. Sounds good. Let's see what else is going on out there. NFL owners are interested in allowing private equity investors to buy stakes in their teams. The NFL is the only major U.S. league that does not allow private equity investments, but every other league has found them to be a useful way to cash in on rising team values without giving up team control. We're also hearing that the founders of Clear Lake Capital, Bedad Egbali and Jose Feliciano, are interested in personally buying the 24% stake in the Los Angeles Chargers owned by D. Spanos Berberian. Both cutters, Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Altani and British billionaire Jim Ratcliffe, reportedly increased their bids for Manchester United to above $6.2 billion, but still below the Glazers' asking price of $7.4 billion. Sheikh Jassim is reportedly closer to where the Glazers want to get, while Ratcliffe may be topping out. We also know of at least one more bidder, Finnish entrepreneur Thomas Ziliakis, who came in late in the process. And Shohei Otani is MLB's highest paid player this year when he had his salary to all of his off-field earnings, according to Forbes. His $30 million salary for this season is well below other top players like Justin Verlander, who is going to be paid $43.3 million by the Mets, but where Otani stands apart is in how he makes $35 million off the field, primarily from endorsement deals. That's just over $30 million more than the player who makes the second most off the field, the Yankees' Aaron Judge, who makes $4.5 million on top of his $40 million salary. Up next, I spoke to my colleague Amanda Kristovich on what will be one of the most anticipated women's Final Four matchups ever, and why we are seeing more parity in college basketball on both sides. We'll have that conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash front office.
Joining me now is our reporter, Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda. Well, welcome to you, to what appears to be my podcast, since I'm on every day now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pop in as a guest and talk about some nerdy baseball stuff and, yeah, <laughs> your show from here on out. Uh, but this this is your your time to shine. It's, it's March Madness. It's Final Four. We're talking about the women today. So uh, one of the two matchups is one of the most anticipated yeah, I don't know, in women's Final Four history, perhaps. South Carolina versus Iowa, why is this such a big deal? Yeah, well, it's certainly um, the most anticipated matchup of, you know, the last couple of years because um, South Carolina, first of all, the reigning national champions, the best defensive program in the country with the best defensive player in the country in Aaliyah Boston uh, versus the best offensive player in Iowa with Caitlin Clark. These are two powerhouse programs with two really, really, really powerhouse players leading them. Um, And we're already starting to see how big of a deal this game is going to be. People have predicted that it could top the uh, 2013 Notre Dame-UConn semifinal uh, in terms of ratings. That drew 3 million viewers. This could easily draw more. you know, and then ticket prices, I mean, the get-in ticket price um, is already more expensive for the women's tournament than it is for the men's, which um, just like dollar for dollar, right? So I think that in and of itself just shows how big of a deal this game is going to be and um, how much, you know, anticipation there is for this women's matchup. Is all that largely because this is such a marquee matchup or is it also reflective of growth in the women's game generally? I think it's both. Coaches on their press conferences today were talking about how a lot of these women's players and coaches are household names these days, um, which, you know, may not have been the case 20 years ago um, for players of that and coaches of that same caliber. Don Staley is a household name. Aaliyah Boston, household name. Kim Mulkey. All these people, right? Um, so not only is there an incredible on-court basketball product that we're going to see, but it's just sort of riding the wave of this trend of increasing ticket sales, increasing viewership. Um, the NCAA has set attendance records for the women's regionals. So, um, I I definitely think it's both. And and how about the other matchup, Virginia Tech versus LSU? Uh, what's the story there? I mean, also an incredible matchup, right? Um, I I think that the interesting thing to me with regards to LSU, right, and also with regards to South Carolina and the other game, is that the SEC is representing half of this women's Final Four. And um, I asked both coaches earlier today, which is Tuesday, about, you know, what they think that means. And um, LSU's coach, Kim Mulkey, said, you know, actually, I'm really happy you asked that question because I think the SEC has been disrespected this year. The SEC had seven teams in the women's tournament, more than any other conference. Then they had four teams in the Sweet 16, and now they have two in the Final Four, right? So we think of the SEC as the big, bad football conference, But actually, it's a women's basketball conference. And she was saying that she didn't think that the quality of play um, in the SEC and conference play 
um, you know, was respected in terms of ranking and seating, that sort of thing. On the men's side, the the parody is glaring. It's obvious we've got a four C, two fives, and a nine. On the women's side, we've also been hearing a lot of talk about parody and how it's more so than in years past, but we've got two number one seeds, a two, and a three in the final four. So why does that reflect a new level of parody? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously the women's game has over the years been dominated by UConn. Um, you know, the the women's blue bloods like Notre Dame, like Tennessee, you know, South Carolina, as my colleague Doug wrote about, is trying to build a dynasty of its own. Um, you know, but all of the women's coaches today talked about how the transfer portal actually has allowed for more parity in the women's game. And they and they went so far as to say it's also created parity in the men's game, too, which is particularly interesting given that the narrative around the transfer portal um, when it first started was that allowing athletes to transfer one time without any repercussions was going to increase the gap between the haves and the have-nots because any player who has a level of success is automatically going to jump to like a bigger, fancier, more famous program. And that hasn't been the case. If anything, it's the opposite. The coaches have talked about how you can build a, you know, a contender overnight was one of the quotes that I heard today. It makes sense if you think about it, but that certainly wasn't the narrative going into these new transfer rules. Just to wrap us up here, since this tournament started, we've been hearing that South Carolina is this unstoppable juggernaut. They're here in the final four. Are they still an unstoppable juggernaut? Are they going to win it all? Oh, I mean, you know, sources say probably, but South Carolina, all these programs are going to have an opportunity to, to exploit their weaknesses, right? And, um, you know, in the Elite Eight, um, Maryland played South Carolina really well in the first quarter, and then they got tired. The broadcasters talked about the fatigue factor that South Carolina causes. So even if you think you're winning in the beginning, um, you know, they're going to tire you out. So I think stamina is going to be the name of the game here. And I'm very curious to see how, uh, you know, it's like, what's more important, offense or defense? We're going to find out on Friday night. All right. Amanda Krisovich, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Tomorrow is opening day. We have a fun conversation lined up with someone who knows baseball better than anyone I know. Send us an email at today at frontofficeforce.com. You might just hear your question or comment on the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.